wanted to take just a brief moment to talk to you about the autonomy of choice and the role it plays in our prosperous life, even when we go through the most vulnerable of times. It provides us the strength, the dignity, and the endurance to withstand the trials and tribulations life will inevitably present to all of us. Because you see, according to the National Institute of Health, initial reactions to trauma may include exhaustion, confusion, sadness, anxiety, agitation, numbness, disassociation, confusion, physical arousal, and blurred affect. Most responses are normal in that that they are the survivor's experience and socially acceptable, psychologically effective, and self-limited. For Jesse Torres, she's committed and motivated to help people turn their pain into their purpose. For the last 18 years as a peak performance coach and life strategist, Torres has been committed to helping thousands of high-performance people from all walks of life and various parts of the world achieve their highest level of fulfillment. Jesse is fueled by a passionate, love for humanity, and a burning desire to end human suffering. She is driven to uncover the deep truths and unlock the fullest heights of her clients' potential to unlock limitless possibilities of growth, mindset development, and so much more. She does this by bringing in all levels of emotional intelligence, energy, and strategy, which is driven by an authentic and client-centric approach. Her teachings will help you turn your pain and trauma into your passion and purpose and your defining and differentiating factor in life in order for you to contribute to the conversation of progress. And Torres joined me this week to share her own emotional journey of healing her pain and how she helped others now do the same. So without further delay, I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Welcome to the program this afternoon, and I'm 
Super excited to one I to help people turn their pain and trauma into their purpose great to see you this afternoon and thank you so very much for a few minutes. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, it is definitely something that is near and dear to my heart, having navigated my own um, pain and trauma. Um, I'm always looking for the light in the darkest moments. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess we could start there and dive into why this work is so emotionally and psychologically important to you by, by basing it on your own personal story. So tell me uh, your story and how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. So. Um, my story is my first 18 years of my life, I was living um, with my parents who came from Peru. Uh, they came to America from Peru. And um, I was experiencing um, sexual abuse with my father for my entire life that I can remember. Um, and, you know, my my brother was in his room, my mom was in the kitchen, and it, this is just what my experience was until I was 18. And um, I met my uh, ex-husband and he came in and basically pulled me out and he was able to identify what was happening. And so he spoke on something that I had been experiencing, yet no one believed me. And the fact that he still loved me and wanted to be with me was lord me um i thought i was already gross and disgusting and no one would ever love me because i had this going on and um so the fact that he still wanted to be with me i fell madly in love and so at 18 um i moved in with him and decided that uh we were going to get married because my mom um she said you know my daughter's not gonna live with a man and not be married so i moved out monday i was married friday and uh, we started to make a life together. And what we had decided, he came from a very uh, abusive alcoholic background. Um, and uh, his mother was was very um, abusive. And so we decided that we were going to have the white picket fence, the dog, the cat, and the kids, and make a life for ourselves different than what we how we were raised. And for the most part, we did that. But what we didn't know is that we were bringing a lot of heavy emotional damage into this marriage. Him being called a loser every day, me feeling like I was unworthy. Um, it was a perfect match of, of um, victim and, and, and savior. <laughs> um, so throughout the context of my next 18 years of life was um, being in a marriage that was very abusive, uh, mentally, emotionally, verbally. And, um, and then at one point when I was 29 years old, my older brother was murdered. And in that was a, a huge shock. In fact, in, in, in two years, we experienced four tragic deaths, one being um, my, at the time, husband's uncle, who was six, six and a half, worked on the Puget Sound in Washington, stepped out on a shipyard, and those big, huge metal balls with the hook on them literally fell on his head. Total fluke, crazy thing. He was a sweetheart of a man. Um, my ex was at the time working um, for LAPD. He had a partner that he biked with and he plugged uh, in a movie and had an aneurysm and died at 35. Um, then my ex's sister committed suicide. And then a year later, my brother was murdered. 
So we had these tragic like machine gun of experience. And then after 18 and a half years, I got to the point where I was apathetic and just wanted to die. I, I'm just like, I can't take my own life because my children, however, I was wishing and praying that somebody would just blow the red light and complete my, my journey here on earth because it was just too hard. Um, and from that, an act of kindness is what woke me up. I didn't know to call it kindness at the time, but what I knew is this group of people treated me in a way that I hadn't experienced before. My father told me to not trust anybody. They just want to get in your pants. My husband told me people want to break up a good thing, so don't talk about our marriage. So I, I looked down at the ground. I didn't look at anybody in the eye. And when these people were kind to me, I, it short-circuited me. I call it short-circuit moments. Um, it short-circuited me to believe that whatever this feeling is, if it's available, then life is worth living. And that got, gave me the courage to get out of my abusive marriage and to be on a quest of human development. I wanted to understand why my dad did what he did, why my mom ignored me, why my husband did what he did, and why I allowed it. And I started to read, go to workshops, seminar, I went to therapy, I've I've done all kinds of training, and um, I am on a mission to help serve humanity from turning their pain into purpose and passion and ultimately impact. Because I believe that when the human spirit is awakened, all we want to do is give. All we want to do is give back to the world. And so my outcome is to create an army of angels of people that have just cleared their traumas um, and are now ready to, to give back to the world. Um, and last year on November 14th, um, my little brother was murdered. And so it was a it was kind of an uppercut in my I kind of thought I saw my darkest days. I'm no I'm not naive enough to think I'm not going to be challenged, but that one really surprised me. And that had me dig my heels deeper into wanting to understand, you know, if I'm meant to live and my brothers are not, then what do I do with this pain? And so to alchemize pain into purpose and passion has been a lifelong journey of having to find that myself. How do I, in, in gut-wrenching moments of grief, still see the light? When darkness is present, still seek the light, still look for the good. Um, you know, uh, Mr. Rogers, he had a great, a great saying. He said, when 9-11 hit and there was chaos and, and people are looking at the Twin Towers getting hit over and over and over again, the children were scared. And he got down at their level and he told them, he said, look, whenever there is chaos, there's always helpers. Look for the helpers. And I love that because I consider myself to be one of those that is committed and dedicated to helping people guide them back to their magnificence enough to where they come alive in their spirit and they awaken to their divinity and then just want to give back to the world. That's why I'm here. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for uh, uh, sharing that. You know, uh, Jesse, I am a firm believer that there's power in vulnerability and really peeling back the layers of, of emotional courage. So I'm Curious to get your uh, thoughts based on your uh, professional experience and your lived experience as well. How do you view the term emotional empowerment and enriching, your, enriching yourself emotionally? How do you look at that? Well, you know, it's interesting because my whole life I have been a very sensitive person. Like I... 
I am very emotional, but it was kind of beat out of me. You know, I would show up in love and, and, uh, you know, I was told, Oh, Jesse, love is nice, but love doesn't pay the bills. And so it was a constant shutdown of my emotions. And I, I, I was like, what do I do with all this feeling? And what I realize now is that having emotional intelligence and emotional resilience or fitness is something that if we don't have it, we will burn out. We will not be connected to a purpose or a mission on this planet. Our, if we don't feel our emotions with our partners or our employees or our clients, we're not going to have them. And so we have to be able to, I, I believe the, the uh, um, Neville Goddard said it, the, the, the magic is in the feeling. Feeling is the secret. That's what it was. Feeling is the secret. And so to have emotional fitness to where you can navigate life's challenges, because challenges, I hate to say it, are not going to stop. That's what life is. It's the polarity. It's the light and the dark. We don't know light without dark. And so we have to be able to ride the wave of what challenges come. So, and we just have to master our mindset and our emotional state to be able to navigate life's challenges versus having the challenges take us out. What if the challenges were meant to awaken us, not take us out? Yeah, absolutely. And how do you think people can, can go about their own sort of inner emotional journey? Because, you know, I'm a big believer in inner motivation and really using that as a competitive advantage. So how do you look at uh, inter internal motivation within the work that you do as well? Well, that's such a great question and an important one, because one thing that I've learned in coaching people from all over the world, um, uh, being a Tony Robbins coach for seven years, you, you get the privilege of coaching people from all over the planet. And what ends up happening is you realize patterns in human behavior, regardless of where you come from. And one thing that I've learned personally in, in my experience is that in order to have that inner motivation, you have you cannot bypass the healing. What ends up happening with constant like, you know, seminars, workshops, people now life coaches, personal development, is that we're getting a lot of tools. Motivate yourself to do the blank, but when we are not healing our wound, we're still working from wounding. And so then we motivate ourselves and we get so far, but then when something happens and we our mindset tanks, we beat ourselves up even more because now we know better. Oh, I know I need to think positive, but here I am stuck again. And so then you pull out the hammer and you just beat yourself even harder. So we cannot know our way out of healing. We have to heal. It's like, it's like installing new software on an op old operating system. It's going to glitch. It's going to freeze because you haven't upgraded the program. And so if we don't heal internally, if we don't do the work to rip out the things that are preventing us, then we're going to find ourselves stuck again. Oh my gosh, Facebook's doing, or Zoom is doing a lot of things with my hands. <laughs> yeah. And it's important to also know that each individual journey is individual and it's important not, not to uh, compare ourselves to others when we go through this, this emotional journey, isn't it? Very much. 
Comparison, as they say, is the thief of joy. And here's the thing. God made you divinely beautiful, uniquely beautiful. You are, there's only one of you. It's like, be the best version of you. Don't be a lousy version of somebody else, right? And when we compare ourselves to other people, we're literally stunting our growth. And we're saying, you know, I want to be like them. I'm not, so I'm not enough. It's like, you have a voice that nobody else has. So speak it, be unapologetic with who you are. My passion in this state is I want to help women come back to their femininity. I want them to come back to their equilibrium. We all have masculine feminine, but right now women have fought so hard to prove we could do it all that we're back in masculine and we're showing up with our dukes up ready for the fight and we're emasculating our men. And so we need to come back to balance. So I'm really wanting to help those women, those high level women that are working and great but are stuck wearing a masculine mask and they don't know how to come into their softness. Yeah, Jesse, I want to take a moment to talk to you about the whole idea of your defining moment of difference. You know, use myself as an example. You know, Jesse, my defining moment of difference happened when I was nine years old. I was in a hospital conference room and I was born, by the way, with a cerebral palsy and and you know i found out at nine years old jesse that i wouldn't be able to walk for the duration of my life because of the severity of my cerebral palsy you know i was in the conference room and dr carey who had performed all of my surgeries uh, up to that point i've had i had um seven surgeries jesse to deal with my uh, disability by the time i was nine years old and you know and my um turning point of difference in my life happened when i was uh scheduled to start my fourth year of elementary school and the uh, first day of school happened to be the day after i came back from the hospital and my middle school principal her name was dr uh carol cruelly um, she had me in her office the next day after I had come back from London, and she had everyone assigned to my file from teachers to social workers to my parents were there, and anybody that had uh, influence in my life was in her office. And she had left a big uh, spot in the middle of her office for my wheelchair, and I had gone through the story of what the doctor had told myself and my parents the previous day. And mm. Dr. Cruley looked at me and she said, the only limitations on your life are the artificial ones that you place on yourself per, uh, personally. So I'm curious, because you said the turning point in your life happened when you were 38. So I'm wondering if you can share that with me and your thoughts on the autonomy of choice and uh, sort of, sort of, sort of carving out our own direction in life what are your thoughts there great great question and thank you for your story um you know at 38 when i felt that short circuit right it it, it popped open a different belief system i didn't believe that my life could be different you know I, I, I divorced wasn't an option i you know there was no way that that i i felt i had out but when those people were kind, 
it short circuited something in my brain that said, I want whatever this is enough to want to live and to, and to get out of where I felt I was dead. And so in survival, for me, it was survival. I wasn't conscious about it. It was just literally in survival because at my ex got very furious when I said I wanted a divorce and he already was verbally uh, abusive and, and, and mean. And so it just turned up 10 octaves. So in that, it's like everything that scared me, I, I, I challenged myself. I would put things in my path because I was terrified. I didn't even know how to drive out of my own city. That's how kept I was. And so I started to, to challenge myself with situations that scared me because I knew that I couldn't live behind fear. I knew that fear was limiting and it was going to stop me. And so I just started, I, I, I never would read. I picked up a book. One of the very first books I read was The Unmistakable Touch of Grace by Cheryl Richardson. So I honor all authors because I don't even remember the whole book, but I do remember there was a distinct moment in the book where I read something and it made me think, wait, you mean I could have a different belief system? I could think differently about myself in my life? I didn't, I didn't know. And so it just popped again. It was another short circuit moment. Um, and then at one point, there was a, a moment where my ex was making death threats to my boss, my teacher, and it was, it was pretty crazy. And um, this police officer called me at work and said, we need you to identify this guy that left the death threat on your teacher's answering machine back then. Um, and I was terrified. I was like, no, like if he finds out that I'm like turning it, he had a friend. If I'm going to turn in his friend, I don't know what he's capable of, you know? And they're like, but ma'am, if you don't tell us, we can't do anything. And so they agreed to meet me in the parking lot of um, the community college I was going to. And I was terrified. And I was sitting in the back of the police car. And I don't know what look I had on my face. But the officer, he opened the door on the opposite side. And he just looked in at me. And all he said was, you know, you don't have to live this way. And I did the puppy cock. I was like, what? What do you mean? Like, this is all I know. And that was another short circuit moment where I feel like God in the universe sends these little angels to just drop these seeds that spark something like that, that uh, doctor did for you, right? She said these things and suddenly that, oh, that's like a seed, like a microchip that got implanted in my brain that allowed me to think differently. The officer said that I was like, it never left me. I don't have to live this way. I didn't know any other way, but the fact that you're telling me I don't have to is give, is opening up a door that maybe, just maybe, there's a possibility of having a different life. So those are the little things that, that, that just went on one after the other. And then I became a seeker of them. I started looking for where else, what else, what can I read? What else, who else can I talk to? I just got almost obsessed with human ex the human experience because I wanted to understand how at 38 did I get here? How did I get here? I have three beautiful children and I don't know what the flip I'm doing. And he's furious. He turned my life upside down. I, I, I was robbing Peter to pay Paul. I, he, he made the money. I stayed home with the kids and I just, I was, I was at a loss. So for me, it was the moment, the tipping point of survival where it said like, I'm either going to get some grit or I'm going to crumble. And I can't do that. I have three kids that depend on me.
You know, Jesse, one of the reasons I was fascinated to talk to you is because we share a mutual synergy in our love for human development and developing relationships with people. And I know you're fascinated by the study of people and helping them develop to their fullest potential. So when you look at society today, I'm curious how important do you think it is for people to stand in their truth and really sort of celebrate what makes them different from a personality perspective? Because it's my belief that a, a diversity of strength and experience can be a competitive advantage. So I'm wondering if we can talk just a moment about the importance of individual human development and really standing in authenticity. Beautiful. You know, my personal belief is that we are part of the whole, right? We're part of humanity. So the best way to give back to the world is to serve the self. If I heal Jesse, if I work to be the highest and most unique, most beautiful version of me, I send out that vibration and healing to the planet. So it's it oftentimes, especially as service providers or people that we want to give back to the world, we're constantly looking out there. And I did that. When my brother passed away, I was like, you know, how could I serve? How could I serve? How could I serve? Which is awesome. And I love that about myself. However, it has to start with me. When I heal myself, when I fall in love with aspects of me that I judged in the past, when I'm able to recognize my own sovereignty, I then in turn send that message out to others to do the same. And that's how we do it. Because I don't heal anybody. I help guide them to their choice of healing themselves and being willing to forgive, being willing to let go, being willing to understand that if everything in life happens for our highest and greatest good, even the suck, that there's a precision from God in the universe that what happened to you actually happened for you and from you. So we have to ask ourselves better questions. We have a very victim society, you know, and it's what we're taught. We're taught to notice what's wrong, not what's right. But both are always available. So if we can start asking better questions when we face challenges, right, something happens. My old question used to be, what's wrong with me? Uh, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep attracting this? Whatever it was, that question is going to solicit the part of me that wants to beat me up and tell me all the things that are wrong with me. <laughs> so instead, now I'm like, okay, how is this here for my highest and greatest good? What's the opportunity here for my growth or expansion? What muscle is God calling me to build in this moment? And it was the very thing that allowed me in my moment of deep, profound grief to still see the beauty, to see my brother's daughters who had not met before embrace each other like they've known each other their whole life to see my family show up in a way I'd never witnessed before to watch people post on Instagram about my brother and the difference he made in their lives. I was still able to see the beauty while I'm wiping my tears away because I made it a practice, a practice to consistently 
find the light and be the light. So I have to eat my own medicine. My uniqueness is, is the best thing I could offer the world. Being authentically me. Absolutely. You know, Jesse, what do you think it means to stand in a place of uh, courage? And how can we use courage to help us heal pain and, and find purpose? What are your thoughts then? Well, here's the beauty about courage. It doesn't exist without the element of fear. And Lord knows we are scared, right? There's so many things that we've been scared about, even, even if it's fear about going to the dentist. <laughs> what we don't realize is that we don't honor ourselves for how courageous we are. We just remember how often we're scared. And so my invitation to you and your listeners is that every time you feel fear and do it anyway, you've built and pumped a courage muscle. Celebrate that. Have a courage journal where you write down moments where you were courageous because we forget when we have a new challenge or we have a new goal. We have somewhere we haven't been before. It's, it's not that there's something dangerous. It's just unknown. And our nervous system goes into contraction and then fear stops us. In A Course in Miracles, it says there's only ever two things. There's love and there's fear. And, and fear is just a call for love. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Jesse, I'm also fascinated as to uh, about the whole concept of living within your passion because, you know, uh, oftentimes, when we go into a, a work setting, they tell us that if we fi find our passion, we never work a day in our life if we find passion in it. And th that word can elicit many different emotions for many different people. So what does li living within your passion mean to you? Sure. Um, you know, it's one of the things that I... I breaks my heart is that I feel like we, we need to come alive. What makes us come alive? What opens up our human spirit? What passion is just being in joy, being committed, being in enthusiasm with whatever it is you're doing. Living with passion is not have to, it's get to right? I get to, I get to do this for a living. I get to show up during the holidays in this way with my family. I choose to, right? So it's different. Living with passion is, is coming alive. It's like, I love Howard Thurman's quote. He says, don't ask what you could do for the world. Ask what makes you come alive and go do that because we need more people to come alive. So passion for me is that. Come alive in your spirit. Open yourself up to smiling. Dance more. Play more. We got so serious and we're just living with stress and we're gripping the steering wheel. And we have this belief that if you're not gripping the steering wheel hard enough, then you must not care enough. Work, 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 work. Sleep when you die. And we have a very exhausted society. What if we chose to come alive in our spirit with whatever we do, whatever we choose? Finding your passion is being excited every time that alarm clock goes off and you get to live this beautiful life you've been given. Yeah, absolutely. And, 
You know, Jesse, as you and I both know, rising above limita limita limitations is a, a process for many people, but I, I believe it's important and when we talk about aspects of growth and advancement. So what's your best advice for anyone watching or listening to this to really rise above what their limiting beliefs and really challenge themselves to reach their fullest potential? Great, great question. So first of all, there is no limitation to the human being, only the belief that there is one. Okay. So if I believe I can do something, I can do it. So it's super important to check in with our belief systems and where did we get them? Is Are they even ours? They could be our parents. They could be our teachers. They could be like, what is the limitation that you have on yourself that you cannot achieve your wildest dream? And be willing to look inside. If you look at somebody, and we talk about comparison, if you look at somebody and you say, oh, wow, they are amazing. I look up to them. They have everything I wish I had. I would invite that you look at what it took to get them there. Ask yourself, what character traits? Did it take courage? Did it take perseverance? Did it take determination? Did it take commitment? Then ask yourself, where in your life have you shown courage? Have you shown determination? Have you shown commitment? Because my hunch is you have the very character traits that that person has that you believe has accomplished the thing that you want. There's no limitation to you. Just the belief. So if you can rip the Band-Aid off of that and honor yourself, I say have an honor journal where you honor moments of courage, where you honor moments of um, where you did something kind, where you honor moments where you wanted to give up, but you didn't. We have to start to recognize our own divinity so that we can realize that the only limitation that there is are the ones we put on ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And building on that, what do you think it means to stand in your own moment of victory in life because it could be different for different people so what does that mean to you i'm sorry could you ask that again yeah I, yeah i was just curious to ask you what does it mean to you to stand in your own moment of victory because it's important to celebrate when you make breakthroughs isn't it very much very much we don't do it enough we're, we're constantly finding, again, what's wrong, not what's right, right? Even if we do, we accomplish a goal, oftentimes we're looking at, oh, I could have done this better, or I could have done this different, or it took me longer than I thought, or we're constantly, and I, I, have, I have this because I use it in my coaching, <laughs> which is a judgment hammer, right? We are constantly pulling this out, beating ourselves up, and we're not celebrating every step it took to get here. I have this, these, these little cards here and these little cards are empty. And every day I write one thing I'm grateful for and I put it in my jar and to remind me to celebrate, to celebrate. What do I have to celebrate? What am I grateful for today? Because as a human being, look at society and what's happening in our world. The news, everything that's being fed to us is heavy. 
and we can start going down that road. So we have to find moments to celebrate our wins so that when the density of the world comes, we don't get seduced into it, right? Like look at TV shows like Jerry Springer and the drama and it just, it like misery loves company. That whole thing is just like pulls people in. So if we don't take inspired action to celebrate every step every day, then we can be seduced into immediately finding what's wrong because what's wrong is always what's shown to us, not what's right. Yeah, I just I want to also talk to you about managing emotions when we're dealing with trying to overcome trauma because it, it can be a different emotional journey for other uh, for, for for anyone going through it. So, how do you think we can effectively manage emotions? as we're dealing with trying to overcome trauma? Great question. Um, Powerful questions, right? I, if I'm getting triggered by somebody or a situation, it's my work to do, right? So my triggers are for me because that person behaved a certain way. I'm triggered. If I don't look inside and heal that, that person is going to show up in a different person. It'll be in a boss. It'll be in a friend. It'll be whatever, because there's a lesson there that I'm, I'm, I'm being called to heal something. So when emotions stir up for me, breath is highly underrated. <laughs> Stop and take a breath and connect to your center. What is your truth? Start asking the question, ask your body, is this a yes or a no for me? Because we can muddy the waters in our heads so much. So in order to navigate our emotional state, where is our focus? What are we focused on? Check in with your physiology. Where's your body? Are you slumped over? Are you are you like this? Because that right there is, is important to recognize because we don't get depressed. We actually do depression with our bodies. So in that moment, interrupt the body's physiology. Ask yourself, where's my focus right now? Is my focus on how I could win or is my focus on how stupid I was? Or is my focus on this person saying this thing that's triggered my wound from because my dad used to call me this name? Whatever. Do the inquiry, but breathe. Recalibrate. Ask yourself, is this true? Go Byron Katie on it. Can I absolutely know it's true? Who would I be without this thought? And then turn it around, right? So I think the greatest way to navigate our emotional uh, resilience is asking ourselves questions and breath. Mm-hmm. And uh, to that point, I'm also wondering your thoughts on the power of the word forgiveness and the whole role that forgiveness plays in this whole process as well. Forgiveness is a superpower. You know, they say, you know, to, to not forgive is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. And it's so very true. Forgiveness is, it's super important to acknowledge that forgiveness is not saying that what happened was okay. Forgiveness is relieving you of any energy of anger, hatred, resentment. All of those are depleting emotions and it's hurting you. Because it's not congruent with who you are innately, which is love. And so it's a battle. It's a battle within you to not forgive. So we forgive because of the consequences of unforgiveness. When we have unforgiveness, we're coping. 
we're overeating, we're, we're doing things because we have this anger we don't know what to do with because we can't let go of what happened or what the person did or, or any of that. And so when we forgive, we do it to clear our human spirit, to bring us back to congruence of who we are, which is love. I, I have that conversation with my mom a lot because obviously having lost two sons, she has a lot of hurt, a lot of anger. And I know that, you know, she's, she's a devout Catholic. And I say, when you think of Jesus, like, you know, that forgiveness is the way and you have to let this go. And she's like, but I just can't. And she has a hard time. I said, but mom, here's the thing. When you argue with reality, you lose a hundred percent of the time. And the bottom line is my brothers are gone. And for me, I want to know what's going on in that guy's life that killed him what caused, what was his trauma that made him believe that he had the right to take someone's life? So I'm at that place. It's not always easy, but it's definitely the way. Yeah, and I've got a two-part question for you about women and their role in the world. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast is I looked at the world and I said, there has to be more that fuses us together rather than trying to bring us all apart. And, you, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to start it was I wanted to create more societal bridges of unity is what I call it and really uh, understand why people do what they do. And in, in the case of women, I, I'm just curious about how you think they've evolved throughout the course of time and when do you think they still need to sort of ascend to moving forward? Great question. I think that the progress for women has been monumental. When you think about back in the 1600s when we, you know, women were getting burned, um, you know, at the stake because, because of their intuitive wisdom um, to now, you know, where we can pretty much do it all. I think that the next evolution for women is to come back to their core essence. Like, I think that we've proved we could do it all, but do we really want to? Because what we have is a society of women that are exhausted. They're exhausted of juggling and doing everything, but they don't know how to put down their guard. They're hurt. They've, they've been fighting for so long that they tip the scales. It's like first we were very suppressed and now we've opened up that channel and now we're way over here on the other side of the pendulum and we've come so far that we, we're stepped into our masculine and we've hardened our hearts and we're so afraid to open that up again because, well, we were stomped on and we were hurt. And so we have to break generational energy and belief systems to come back to our balance, our equilibrium. We're not suppressed and we're not having to do it all. It's great that we can, but let's come back to our center and who we are as the most powerful energy, which is to be in the feminine, to be in creation, to give, to receive, to love, to nurture, to care. And I believe it's the woman that's going to be the leaders of tomorrow that are going to tip back the scales of our society so we stop killing each other. And so for me, the next evolution of, of the woman is to come back to the love, come back to the fierce 
part of who we are as mama bears and protectors, but take off the masculine mask so we no longer have to live in exhaustion and depletion and resentment because we're afraid to ask for help. And yeah, you said something that uh, sparked my interest. So before I ask you my last question, I want to ask you about the whole idea of compromise from a societal perspective, because, you know, when I look at the world today, sadly, Justin, I believe that the, there's an elevated level of resentment, you know, if we don't agree with someone, we're automatically put in sort of a societal corner until we evolve into their own, into their opinion or the opinion that we don't agree with. So I'm curious, what do you think societally we lost our way and how do, how do you think we can get back on track? Well, I think what's important, and you said it earlier, is that we be courageous enough to be our unapologetic self. I think that, you know, we're not going to be, I'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea. But I have to be willing to speak my voice in service because there are going to be people that hear my voice and hear what I'm saying and say, oh my gosh, that resonates with me. I would love her help. And there's going to be others who say, you know what, she's crazy or she, whatever. There's a world of almost 8 billion. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be judged. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be judged. And I'm just like, I'm okay with that. I've let go of trying to please everybody. I can't. And I have to be willing to be uniquely me enough to know that it's going to resonate with some. And I do it for them. For the ones that I don't resonate with, cool. There's lots of coaches and there's lots of people and God bless them. Let them go there. But I'm here for the ones that are in the back of the room who listen and hear something in my story, because that's the outcome here. The story, this isn't about me and my story. It's about, I am a human being that lived through these things. And if I can get on the other side, so can you. And yeah. that's the whole outcome here. Yeah, it's all about a belief in self, isn't it? Yep. Absolutely. Jesse, my final question for you has to do with a legacy, you know, because I'm a huge believer in that we're all here to influence the next generation in some form or fashion. So tell me, when you look at your professional and personal legacy, how do you want that to be defined? That's such a great question. You know, legacy for me is being somebody that is willing to show up in love while being someone that has grit and perseveres and never quits. Someone who's dedicated to loving humanity at the highest level that I as one human being can. I want my legacy to be that I was not afraid to speak of love. I was not afraid to, in the corporate arena, talk about love, annihilate shame, get rid of guilt, get rid of loneliness, the conversations that people are afraid to talk about. I want to be known for ripping the bandaid off the veil and addressing the very things that our human spirit needs to come alive. Because I, you know, in the corporate arena, they say, now I say love, love's not the answer. Love's not the thing. Oh, okay. If you don't love your clients, you won't have any. If you don't love your employees, 
They won't be connected to your mission. And if you don't love your friends or family, they will leave you. So tell me this whole flippin' journey is not about love. It's about love and relationships and building that and moving forward. So we are here for ourselves. We're here for each other. Let's uplift humanity together. I would have been known for that. Somebody that loves humanity so much that I'm committed to shortening the window of the suffering that's happening in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, tell me, Jesse, if people want to get connected with you, what's the most effective way they can do that? They can go to my website, unshakablelife.com. And um, they can also go to uh, healandgrowrich.org. And you can connect with me there and you can um, get on my calendar. I would love to have a conversation with you and help you maximize the results in your lives and clear whatever limitations that I've created just because you were human. You know, trauma does not have to be a big thing. Trauma is just basically what the, what the human being made meaning around. And that's causing limitation now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jesse, I thoroughly enjoyed our uh, conversation about uh, overcoming trauma, personal and human development, and everything in between your work in the space and time on my behalf is most appreciated. And I want to thank you for being here this afternoon. Thank you so much, Kevin. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be here and chatting with you. You have great questions. And uh, I... Um, I pray that your listeners, um, there is a free 10-step um, uh, guide that I'll be giving to your listeners um, that you can put on the show notes. Um, it's your 10-step guide to freedom, and it's just some steps that you could take if you feel stuck right now or if you feel like there's no way out. Uh, these are some things that you can do starting today. Well, fabulous. We'll make sure that gets uh, to where it needs to, and I want to thank you again for your time and for engaging in conversation with me. It's most appreciated. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kevin. Take care.